Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Today we are talking about news from the front line of medicine, solving the puzzle of living with Parkinson's. My first guest today is Professor Michael S. Oaken. He is a world authority on Parkinson's and he is also a um, medical doctor, of course, but teaches at the University of Florida College of Medicine. And he has been supported by grants from the National Parkinson's Foundation, the NIH, the Parkinson's Alliance, and Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Disease Research. And he has numerous other accolades, which I'm going to let him tell you about. Welcome, Dr. Oaken. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. Um, Parkinson's disease is near near and dear to my heart. Um, my father received uh, that diagnosis many years ago, and he's living very well with it. But th- I'm always interested in what's on the horizon. What is going on to help people who are challenged to live well with Parkinson's? Well, it's it's a great question, and and one of the things that that's most challenging about being in the Parkinson's space is helping people to understand what the diagnosis is and what it means. And when we um, say those five words, you have Parkinson's disease, it can, you know, pierce the hearts and drain the dreams of 50,000 or more people worldwide. And we started asking people, what does it mean when you get that diagnosis? And, and, and the most common thing people will tell us is that it's like Alzheimer's disease. And so we have to actually start uh, from the basics and, and, and begin to teach our primary care doctors and family practitioners and general neurologists that this is not Alzheimer's disease. And then, in fact, we're following people now in the largest longitudinal study ever done of Parkinson's disease in the world. And we have what are called PD-10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And what's that number after the PD, after the Parkinson? It's the number of years that people are living with the diagnosis. And so it's not Alzheimer's disease. We have a lot of treatments. 
there's a lot on the horizon, but there's a lot that we can do today to help people to lead a, a happier life. And so it all starts with, with knowing the signs, knowing what you have and knowing what you don't have and making sure that you get to the right expertise so you can get a good plan to move forward. And when you talk about the signs, share a little bit about that. Well, so a lot of people equate Parkinson's disease to tremor, right? They see people that are shaking. They say, oh, you're shaking, you have Parkinson." But there's actually a lot of causes of shaking. And sometimes people can get those confused when trying to, to make the correct diagnosis. And so it's really important that you see a neurologist because there's a certain type of shaking that occurs at rest. There's stiffness, there's slowness that can have shuffling in their feet. And in fact, one in five people, and let me say that again, one in five people have no tremor. And so just because you don't have a tremor doesn't mean that you do not have Parkinson disease. And the other secret that people need to be aware of is that there are over 20 symptoms that are associated, signs and symptoms with Parkinson, and many of them are not motor. So when I say not motor, I mean we're not talking about tremor, stiffness, or slowness. We're talking about depression, anxiety, sexual dysfunction, and other what we call non-motor features. And when we've looked across studies and we've looked at this problem, there's now over a dozen studies suggesting that these non-motor features, depression, anxiety, sexual dysfunction, um, these features are actually more disabling than the motor problems of Parkinson's. So one of the secrets we say to a happier life is understanding that you have to address the whole patient and not just look at what's obvious, not just look at the shaking or the stiffness or the slowness. In the case of my dad, I think that the tremor was the last thing. He had all of the other symptoms that you described. Well, I don't know about the sexual dysfunction. That's too TMI. But certainly the, the anxiety and the depression were there for decades, and everybody thought it was just depression. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's a really uh, important uh, observation, not only for your dad, but for millions of people worldwide to to really understand that the first symptom could be depression and it could be anxiety and it may not be motor at all. And in fact, we have a new group of symptoms that we've been studying and we call this premotor Parkinson. So these are cases where there are symptoms that actually predate the motor symptoms. And some of these are acting out your dreams, something called we call REM, sleep behavioral disorder. So where you have these really vivid, alive dreams and you act them out. The loss of a sense of smell, constipation, and depression and mood disorders. And these things often will precede the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease by you know many years, and in some cases, 5, 10, 15 years. And so these may be the first symptoms, the first clues for Parkinson and should not be dismissed. And when we talk about um, lifestyle management or, or lifestyle changes to help us live longer, healthier, more productive lives, how does that relate to living well with, with Parkinson's? Well, and what are the things, what, what can we do about it, you know? Well, there's a convergence of information on that topic now, and we understand that it's it's not just all about the medications. And so it's really important uh, for us to focus on, you know, making sure that, um, that we are uh, looking at the other therapies. And so we often say that the best care that a Parkinson patient can get is called multidisciplinary care. So they're seeing a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a speech and swallowing 
person and perhaps a social worker or, or a psychologist at least once a year. And that's, you know, looking at the whole patient and addressing all of their their symptoms and not just, again, focusing on the, the motor symptoms. We know that when we address all of these other things and we use other modalities besides medications, that it makes a big difference. There has been a recent surge in literature, and now we have multiple research studies that support the notion that exercise is like a drug for Parkinson. And when you exercise, it releases trophic factors and does lots of things that uh, that I would equate to being like miracle Grow for the brain. And so almost all experts have shifted their practice to try to get their patients to exercise, even if they can't walk very well, you can still exercise even if you're, you're in a chair. And so exercise has become a new mainstay therapy uh, for Parkinson for both the motor and the non-motor symptoms. And what about coffee and tea? I, I have this in my notes, but I, I don't have it uh, with any anything else. Is it is it to regulate it or add it into the diet? So, you know, I often will say coffee, tea, and exercise without taking a breath, those three things. And why do I group those three together? Well, the reason is, is that all three have common mechanisms in the brain. They all stimulate the adenosine receptor in the brain, and they can all have positive symptomatic benefits. And one of the myths about Parkinson's disease is that you can't drink coffee. And in fact, there's been a number of studies, one by Ron Postuma, who's up in Montreal, who looked at this quite carefully, and he was interested to see if coffee would make Parkinson patients more alert and less sleepy. And what he found was it didn't do much for the alertness, but it actually improved many of the motoric symptoms in low to moderate dosages. So a couple of cups of coffee a day could actually be a positive benefit. And we think tea in the same way. We think that, that it's stimulation of similar receptors in the brain along with exercise. Again, same deal. We think these all can be uh, very positive therapies in moderation for our patients. That is amazing. I, I did not know this, and I will be passing on that information today. Um, we're going to take a break in a moment, but before we do, I want to give some contact information of where our listeners can find you. The website is movementdisorders.ufhealth.org. Once again, that's movementdisorders.ufhealth.org. They can connect directly with you on Twitter at Michael Oaken, and that's O. K-U-N. And on Facebook, you can find the team at uh, UFMDC. Once again, that's UFMDC. Um, when we come back, I want to explore with you um, research related to marijuana and cannabinoids and how that is impacting treatment for um, Parkinson's and other new new treatments that are on the horizons. Will you, will you hang out with me and do that? Absolutely. Be my Perfect. pleasure. All right. Here come the tunes. We will be right back. Wait, wait, wait. Before we head off to that break, I want to mention how happy my brain is when I'm learning something new. That's right. Research indicates the pursuit of lifelong learning improves mood and brain functioning. And with the Great Courses Plus video learning services, I get to exercise my curiosity and nurture my well-being with consciously prepared brain food. These are engaging video lectures presented by award-winning experts on thousands of topics, psychology, history, philosophy, travel, 
even how to take better photographs or learn to cook more creatively. Whether you are a beginner or seasoned hobbyist, there's a great course with your name on it waiting just for you. Stream lectures on your schedule from the comfort of wherever you are. Start and pick up again at any time from your smartphone, tablet, laptop, or TV. I highly recommend The Science of Mindfulness, a research-based path to well-being taught by Harvard psychologist Dr. Ron Siegel, who explores ancient wisdom traditions and modern science to explain how practicing mindfulness positively affects the structure and function of our brains. I'm loving Dr. Siegel's charisma, wit, and entertaining teaching style that explains how and why mindfulness decreases patterns of negative thinking, reduces stress, and improves our overall well-being. I'm a fan of the myriad of mindfulness techniques offering flexibility and choices to meet a variety of situations depending on the learner's personal needs. And here's a great perk for listeners of Harvesting Happiness. You can start watching this or any other course at The Great Courses Plus for free today. You'll receive... A free month of unlimited access when you sign up using my special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. Sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash happiness. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about solving the puzzle of living with Parkinson's with Professor Michael S. Oaken, who is also the author of 10 Breakthrough Therapies and Parkinson's Treatment, 10 Secrets to a Happier Life. Dr. Oaken, prior to the break, we were talking a little bit about coffee, tea, and exercise, and that they do go hand in hand. I'd like to talk a little bit about marijuana and cannabinoids in, in treatment for Parkinson's. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting area, and it might surprise people to learn that there are cannabinoid receptors, so receptors that get tickled uh, when you uh, take marijuana or one of the other cannabinoids, 
And there are CA1 and CA2 receptors in the brain. And when we tickle these receptors, they're actually co-located with dopamine receptors. And they're all over the areas of the brain that are important to Parkinson. And so there's been a surge in interest as to whether or not these can be developed either with what's available now for in many states, the uh, marijuana has become available as medical marijuana, uh, or alternatively, there's a number of, uh, of companies that are interested in developing compounds that might be able to tickle these receptors uh, in a way to uh, maximize positive benefits and minimize side effects. Now, the issue with the cannabinoids, and I get asked this question every day by uh, patients in the clinic, is whether or not it's right uh, for you. And Parkinson is the most complex disease in medicine, period. When you consider the number of motor and non-motor symptoms are over 20, when you consider there's an awakening if you take dopamine, we have deep brain stimulation, we have over a dozen different drugs. And so how do you know, should I add marijuana into this mix? The answer is we don't know yet. We have multiple case reports, surveys, small studies. Uh, but now with this resurgence of interest, I think we're going to be seeing some really uh, interesting and, and methodologically sound research that will help us to choose the phenotype what symptoms might improve with Parkinson's. So, for example, many of my patients who take it, who may have severe anxiety as a symptom of Parkinson, say that this is the best drug that they've ever taken, whereas I have others that have taken it for tremor or dyskinesia, which are extra movements, and it hasn't worked out as well. And so understanding which patients under which conditions and then how to keep people safe, just keeping in mind that if you use one of these substances as medical marijuana, uh, what uh, can happen is you can double your risk of getting into a car accident. And so we need to warn people about that and just making sure that you have a monitoring plan. And depending on what state that you live in, you have to have a doctor that's registered with the state and who has taken a course and understands how to keep you safe and um, and how to make sure that that uh, that this is uh, monitored and just like uh, any other uh, drug that's in your in your arsenal that's that's uh, designed to try to help you in a positive way. And so we don't want to walk away from our patients. And so we're learning uh, how we how we can use this. But I, I would say it's genesis. It's very early days for medical marijuana. But uh, but there's there's reason for, for hope. And what's interesting is in discussion with my own parents about this, because my stepmom has MS, so there, there are two conditions between them that, that could benefit from this use. Um, there's, there's a stigma associated because they're older. They feel that they would rather take something from a doctor's prescription pad, even though the, the medical marijuana is prescribed, than to smoke pot. You know, it, And it's very interesting because it's hard for them to get over the stigma of that. Right. And, you know, it is it's a very interesting dynamic. And the way that it plays out uh, often for me and uh, in my clinic is that uh, what happens is you have people who have been very conservative their whole lives and sort of never thought, you know, that um, that that drugs were in their future. And they think of them only as recreational substances because of what they have heard their whole life and, and what's been on the news. But in reality, when you get a, a disease that's a progressive neurodegenerative disease and it's affecting your quality of life every single day, 
um, they become uh, much more open to to trying uh, something that can have a, a symptomatic benefit and then to start to learn about it. What does it actually do? What are the benefits? What are the side effects? And maybe it is right for me. And I see a number of people that are um, maybe previously inflexible on the issue of these types of drugs who now uh, under new conditions and thinking about it in a different way have come in with an open mind. And, and I, I, think, uh, I think that's probably the right attitude to have if you have one of these types of diseases to, to keep an open mind if there's something that can help. Oh, I think that's a rule for a happy life, <laughs> to have an open mind, you know, it's, okay. it's, that hit that goes right to the core, you know, that if you have an open mind, life is just going to be a little bit easier, even though it may not always be happy. Um, yeah. you're um, right. Talking about uh, advanced deep brain stimulation, because people may not be aware of this. Talk a little bit about that. So there are a group of circuits in the brain that are misfiring in diseases like Parkinson's disease, but not just limited to Parkinson, but also can be tremor and Tourette and obsessive compulsive disorder and a disease called dystonia. And uh, people like me, I've studied circuits my whole life um, in the laboratory and, uh, and also with human patients. And it is possible to try to modulate these circuits that are communicating in abnormal ways. So imagine your brain is really composed of a group of islands and the communication between those islands is in some way disrupted or abnormal or just not really optimal. Uh, it's now possible for us to tap into some of these nodes or these islands and try to change the relative communication between the different areas to a more normal pattern. And by uh, restoring the communication and changing the signal and what we call neuromodulation or modulating these different islands in the brain, we can improve symptoms. And, and the second awakening in Parkinson's disease has, has been this uh, deep brain stimulation. So this application of electricity to the brain. And who would have thunk it? Who would have thought you could put a tiny little bit of electricity in the brain and improve tremor and stiffness and slowness uh, for um, many of the people who are suffering and suppress their extra movements called dyskinesia. But, uh, but it has become a reality, and now we're making advancements on that technology, and we're trying to understand what the brain patterns are. Uh, we're doing this in our lab that underpin the different symptoms. And so if we can understand what the abnormal brain signals are that correlate with certain symptoms, then we can actually have a smart device that can turn on or off when certain symptoms are bothersome for patients, and we call that adaptive deep brain stimulation. Now, this type of therapy isn't for everyone, and in fact, I should say only about 10 or 20% of any you know, group of Parkinson patients will qualify for it for various reasons, and there are symptoms and signs that it, it does terrific at suppressing, so it's really great for tremor and stiffness and slowness and giving up a better sense of feeling on when you're um, on your medicines during the day and, and taking out those highs and lows that we call on-off fluctuations. But it is not a great therapy at the moment for walking, talking, thinking, and mood problems. And so it's really important to have what we call interdisciplinary screening at an expert center, usually a university center, just to see what the risk-benefit profile would be. 
And one of the secrets I say to a happier life is knowing when to make your brain electric or if that should be something that you pursue. But just having some knowledge on that, I think, is is important because this is a real therapy that can that can help a number of patients. This has been fascinating. We are nearly out of time, and I, I just want to touch upon a couple of other forms of therapy that are available, although we don't have time to really get into them in detail. One is the, um, the dopamine pumps and stem cell and stem cell tourism that you mentioned. Um, it, and, and can you just touch upon it ever so briefly? Sure. So, so dopamine pumps are little feeding tubes that we can um, we can place in people's stomachs and intestines and give them a continuous release of dopamine all day long, so they don't have to hold their pills. Um, they, of course, need to manage that tube. But uh, but some of our Parkinson patients are taking pills as often as every two hours, so this can be an option for some patients. In terms of uh, thinking about stem cells, well, it's the it's the great hope, right? Stem cell generation is going to cure everything. And now that we can fast forward, you know, 15 years into the future in Parkinson, we understand that um, that this therapy hasn't realized um, the uh, the hope that many people had. And in fact, there's now people out there offering it uh, and with significant risk. And we saw in the New England Journal of Medicine several cases of blindness caused by stem cell therapy. We have a blog up on the Parkinson's Foundation uh, website. I'm their medical director, and we run a, a group of um, forums called Ask the Doctor, and we have a blog up with many of the complications that are being um, reported from this. And so just getting a stem cell infusion uh, for cash, we call that stem cell tourism, can be really troublesome. And uh, I would encourage people to read that blog and go to the Parkinson's Foundation and learn about that because a lot of our patients have uh, unfortunately spent tens of thousands of dollars and sometimes ended up with very severe uh, side effects like tumor growths from these injections. And so uh, this isn't, uh, I think, the panacea that uh, the people thought it was at one time. We can use stem cells to screen for new drugs, and so it's a great technology for that. We call it high th- a drug throughput screening for new drugs and new pharmacological compounds for Parkinson's. So it's not a dead technology, but we just want people to be aware of the potential risks. Uh, Professor Michael Oaken, thank you for being with us. To learn more, I suggest you buy his book, 10 Breakthrough Therapies, 10 Secrets to a Happier Life is the second book. Correct. The first book is is 10 Breakthrough Therapies in Parkinson's Disease. The second book is uh, 10 Secrets to a Happier Life. And then I also have a blog Uh, I'm the medical director for the Parkinson's Foundation, and I have a a blog that goes up every month called What's Hot that has all the new therapies. And to learn more about Dr. Oaken's work, you can find him at movementdisorders.ufhealth.org. Once again, movementdisorders.ufhealth.org. On Twitter, at Michael Oaken, and on Facebook, UFMDC. Thank you, Professor Oaken, for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. Pleasure. Before we head out to the break, I want to talk with you about the magic of storytelling. Everyone has a family member or friend who always tell the best and most colorful stories, like that one about the first neighborhood TV or the wildly adventurous trip across India or meeting the love of their life. But here's the thing. We are all born storytellers. It's in our DNA. And telling our stories makes us feel seen, heard, and understood. Storytelling makes me feel happy and more connected, and that's why I'm a subscriber to StoryWorth. 
the easiest way to share your story and pass on precious memories to your loved ones. And here's how it works. Purchase a subscription for someone you love, and each week, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. That's a year of weekly story prompts. Ironically, one of my recent prompts was, at what times in your life were you the happiest and why? These stories and photographs can also be uploaded at StoryWorth.com or via the app or email. Your loved one simply replies to each email prompt with their story, or it can be, be recorded over the phone by calling the StoryWorth number. All stories are secure, confidential, and only shared with people you choose. At the end of the year, your loved one's story will be bound into a beautiful, hardcover, keepsake book. StoryWorth makes a meaningful and great last-minute gift any time of the year. This Mother's Day, I'm gifting my mom a subscription to StoryWorth, and I'm hoping to learn more about her life as a child and young bride. And here's a great perk for listeners of Harvesting Happiness. You will receive $20 off your order by visiting StoryWorth.com slash happiness. Learn more about those you love at StoryWorth.com slash happiness and subscribe to give gifts that will keep on giving once again, that's storyworth.com slash happiness. Now here come those tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain Happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. We're talking about simple solutions for people with Parkinson's. And necessity is the mother of invention in Maleha's world. We're talking with Maleha Soneji. Originally hailing from Pune, India, Maleha Soneji is a trained strategic product designer with a bachelor's degree in product design from MIT and a master's in strategic product design from Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. She's currently working in the Netherlands as a strategist, Maleha combines the fuzzy front end of the design process with emerging technologies to answer the question of what needs to be designed for the future. She is the creator of the No Spill Cup, a cup that helps people with tremors drink easily and with confidence. Welcome, Maleha. Hi, Lisa. It's an honor to be on your show. 
Oh, well, it's, it's a, it's a delight because what you do combines so many parts of our life. You know, it's our needs. It's about making what we do a little bit more easier. And as a designer, I'm pretty sure it's about looking good as well. The products yes, looking that's good. That's true. Yes, that's true. And it's actually bringing all of this together. But the major thing is to satisfy a need, but in a very positive way. And that requires a lot of observation and combining, looking at it holistically almost. So that's the thing I think um, makes a difference. If you look at it from an overview and really go to the core of the need and satisfy it. In terms of Parkinson's and what made you decide to make a foray into the no spill cup, and I, and I, and I giggle in my mind because I think of a sippy cup for adults. <laughs> yes, uh, actually my uncle has Parkinson's. So uh, that was the main trigger for me to look into Parkinson's to see if I can make a difference even in the smallest way. And when I uh, spoke to him and some of the other uh, patients that he interacted with, I realized that they really do not want to use a sippy cup. That's for babies. Come on. And that actually highlights their disease almost in a social gathering. So uh, that was one of the main insights for me when I was designing for the special need, that they, their disease anyways makes them stand out. So they don't want to stand out even more. And that's the main key of this no-spill cup. It looks like a cup that could be used by any clumsy person or any person rather that, um, for that matter. And that's uh, the benefit I see that it fulfills and makes them uh, feel much more comfortable in using that cup. And the word dignity comes to mind. You know, as you're describing yes. um, the challenge uh, of, of an adult using a child's sippy cup and sitting around exactly. a family gathering or in a social setting, and how design really, the criteria to design a product comes into play the psychological aspects of its user. Um, so your question is how uh, psychology comes into play while designing. Or yes, I mean it just pop. It just comes to mind that I'm imagining my father, for example, whose tremor is 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 pretty well under control. But if he were sitting at a family gathering, he wouldn't particularly be interested in using a sippy cup with teddy bears. Exactly, that's one of the aspects. And then psychology comes in where it's like, why should I just? Why can't you know? They sort of avoid it completely, and uh, that's where it was sad for me that why should they be? not allowed to do something, you know. It's almost, uh, let's let's give them something that uh, brings confidence back into them and uh, makes them ease into the crowd and makes them feel, uh, I, I don't like to use the word normal, but uh, uh, similar to other people and fit in almost. So, yeah. Take us through the design process of okay. the no-spill cup. So, um, it was actually... Um, one of the first things I started is just observing them in social gatherings, seeing how they interact and things like that. And then I realized that uh, since they avoid this thing, why not design for it? So the initial phase was just observing and getting a feel of their environment. And then I realized, okay, this is the key thing I want to solve. And that's how I started um, with uh, thinking, okay, it has to be a cup, but not a sippy cup. And then what can it be? 
and then i was really thinking of uh, you know stuff like gyroscopes and extremely complicated things and then i was in a restaurant actually and we have a bottle called bisleri it's a brand in india and that a bottle has a top uh, that's a narrow curve and i was just playing around with it and i realized oh my god yeah this so if i um shake my hand a bit this deflects the liquid back in and it does not fall out and i said why am i thinking so complicated let's make it simple this shape keeps the liquid in and the key here was that their tremors are really counteractive so it there um it'll go left and right and left and right and left and right so the curve on top really keeps it inside and then there were a lot of prototypes made uh, to see uh, what size of the top uh, how how big the top circle should be for them to drink easily but it should be not too big for the liquid to come out so that was the key and so two three prototypes were tested with them and then finally this design was concluded on and if you see the uh, cup is also narrow from the bottom and wide on the top so it it's very difficult for it to even slip from their hands so it was a lot of these ergonomics that went into designing this cup fascinating and and the uses are not limited solely to parkinson someone who is bedridden and hospitalized who is weak can also use this cup and exactly. maintain control over over exactly. the the flow of liquid Yes, definitely. In fact, I truly believe that uh since it's a cup that could be used by anyone, if you keep in mind uh these um extremes, let's say for for example Parkinson's and things like that, it's something called inclusive design and I really support that cause because a product uh can be designed uh even keeping in these people in mind and then it really helps anyone for that matter because the cup could be used by any clumsy person say a kid who wants to uh, drink on from his own cup the mother can just give it to him and it will all be fine so yeah what are some other products that would fall under the inclusive design category products that might have been developed for one specific use for a challenge or a special need but the reality of it is is easily adapted or has been mainstreamed by society as a as a common use product uh one of the examples that comes to my mind immediately is uh so there are these apps on the mobile phone uh made actually for the elderly uh which has really big icons big fonts on it and it's really easy to use and i sometimes feel that something like that could be used even by a normal person you know because say uh, there's a, a light falling on your screen it's the, you sometimes cannot see it your phone clearly and something big like that helps sometimes so i really think that uh, that's one thing uh, that i see mm, more examples it's difficult to come up immediately with such example um Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking yeah. too, and I'm thinking the baby wipe, the ubiquitous baby wipe is something that yeah. I think has been adapted by, by mainstream society. And, yeah, and there are true. thousands of them, I think. It's even maybe chairs that are extremely uh, easy to adjust for the elderly. Uh, a lot of people use them themselves because they don't want to bend down to change their height. And so, yeah, some of these products, yes, they do get adapted. 
but it's it it's less the approach is uh, not so common and uh, it's something that needs to be adapted to every product almost um talk about the staircase illusion i have on my notes here um that this is something that is is it particular to parkinson's patients uh yes uh i think it is uh and actually it needs to be researched further because uh you will know very well that parkinson's really affects everyone differently um some people are really affected by tremors uh some people their gait changes and some, for some people it's the walking and for some people it's a combination of these things so uh this needs to be tested on a wide uh, variety of patients to see if it works for each one of them but uh i do believe that it does work for parkinson's alone yeah and in just to go back to the nosebill cup that you designed it actually is an ele- it looks like an elegant handheld goblet you know similar to yeah. um the shape of the more contemporary wine glasses that you hold like a pod in your hand yes uh yeah the idea of the big handle was so that the cup is closest to their palm so they literally hold it and the effect of the tremors is less on it and that's the reason the handle is big for the hand to fit in and yeah i i did not want to leave the elegance behind again it should be a really classy nice cup to bring them confidence i'm i'm seeing that we're going to take a break and when we come back we will carry on the conversation about necessity as the mother of invention to learn more about the work and designs of Mileha Soneji please visit her facebook page which is mileha and that's m i l e h a and on twitter um the handle is at mileha_s and the website is nospill.weebly.com here come the tunes we'll be right back and that's a promise who says money can't buy happiness Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? 8 Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, "I'll be happy when" or "I'll be happy if"? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on, working too much, not working enough, having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? Is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are we happy yet? 8 Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and harvestinghappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at harvestinghappiness.com. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about solutions for living with ourselves and our challenges. And my first guest is Maleha Soneji. She's a trained strategic product designer, and she has created a very interesting cup for Parkinson's is is its use for people who have a, a, a tremor. But we're really talking, in addition to that, about strategy design, about product design and what goes into forecasting the needs of the public and then bringing up products to the, to production and to the fore for our use as consumers. So Mileha, talk a little bit about what it means to be a strategy designer and how a company might hire you to, um, forecast and create and, and, and also, um, fashion a strategy for bringing that product to market. Yeah. So um, as a strategist, I really look at it as an overview. So there are definitely trends and developments going on in the society that are pretty leading on what is next, what needs to be next. But the other two aspects that uh, are core is what is the client's business. And that is key. You can't come up with a product that's completely out of their scope. So it's something that needs to fit them. But we should never forget the consumer and their needs. Because most of the time what happens is a company says, hey, I can do this. I have this technology to make this. And let's just put it out on the market. But does the consumer really need it? Does it fulfill something that the consumer wants? So that's key. And as a strategist, I really look at all these things uh, and then suggest and come up with design directions and new products that a company could develop. So, yeah. And what's next? What are you working on now? Uh, well, I, I actually work for a company at Fenberlo. So, um, Fenberlo is a design consultancy. So, we have a lot of clients and there are a lot of projects that keep going on. And that's the exciting part because I get really this variety of uh, projects. And that's key for me as a designer to expand my knowledge. So, yeah, that, that's what's happening. And on the sidelines, I'm definitely looking at developing the no spill cup. So it's really how to get it to the market. So, but that's more the product designer in me that was previously there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I can, I can see what you're saying or I can hear what you're saying that you've got this product that has a great use and it has a great adaptive use in other areas for people who, um, want this sort of elegant, uh, cup that fits in with a, a community set in a community setting where one doesn't stick out as having a, a, a problem with a trembling hand, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you get the word out? How do you get the product to go viral, if you will? Exactly. And now think, talking about the future, there's 3D printing. Can I design a cup that is specific for a person? So if I get the dimensions of the hand, can I 3D print specially for them the nose cup? So I'm really looking into all this and, of course, cost aspects come into picture. So it's uh, it's more on that. And let's see what the consumer needs. Do they really need a cup specially for themselves or is there uh, is the one that I ergonomically defined for an average hand works for all? So it's all these things. So I'm re- it's really exciting to look into all these things. And you talk about 3D printing. And for our, for our listeners who might not know what that is, Explain it because it really it is changing the face of 
uh, production technology. Yeah, it definitely is. So uh, 3D printing is actually just putting material on top of each other and it really prints. So uh, it 3D prints a product right in front of your eyes if I feed a CAD model into it. Uh, so that's exactly what it is. And it can even change how I deliver a product to you because I can deliver a product in the form of a CAD model and you go to the closest 3D printer and they 3D print it for you. It saves a lot of shipping costs. It saves a lot of carbon footprint. And yeah, and you can personalize it for yourself as well. So, so in essence, you're sitting in the Netherlands. You are designing whether it's a cup or a chair or a car for that matter. I mean, I know that's a bit of a stretch in, in, in the future, um, yes. but that design then can be sent to wherever the consumer's location is produced in that city or state. And there's no shipping. There's no, there's no real wait beyond um, a, a couple day period for the product to be produced. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. That's amazing. That is, but that's the thing. This all right now, 3D printing is pretty expensive. So, but it is definitely changing. And uh, that's something I need to find out if a consumer is willing to pay that extra bit to get a personalized cup or does it make sense for me to do it here and ship it. So, so it's all these things, the ifs and the buts. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's exciting. It's, exciting. it's exciting. And, and, well, it's, it's, it is our future. And uh, to what is so exciting about this methodology is to see that anybody who has challenges could reach out to uh, the cadre of product designers that exist around the world and have their needs met or the design criteria met and fulfilled in a very short uh, period of time. Exactly. Production span. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. What other products do you like to design? What are your favorite types of products to focus on? I actually, I, I, as I said in my TED talk, it's really the simple things that I like designing. So, and, and I say it, but it's not easy to design these simple things. <laughs> and they're the most difficult to design. But I really like designing these daily products. So I've done a peeler in the past as a student. Um, I've uh, looked at, um, uh, I've done even car radios and uh, it's really looking at it from an overview. So yeah, it's, it's the simple products that I like designing. Now I am looking at your cup and I am thinking about ways to use that cup that are different than how you designed it. You designed it for somebody who has physical challenges and a limitation. And then I look to the other side. How can somebody who is involved in action sports or activities use this cup? And uh, I'm a river rafter. (laughs) And I'm I'm thinking to myself now, this could be an interesting way to um, uh, port my refreshments on on a river raft or on a kayak. Yeah, or if you're in a car as well, why not? Why so not? It, exactly. That's a really nice outlook. And yeah, that's the thing that if you design for one, it could be applied to a lot of things. It's just a matter of perspective. 
But that's a really interesting one. I must advertise it that way as well. <laughs> I think you contact REI right away. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because I, 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 I know that camping gear, for example, has it used to be camping gear was pretty ugly, pretty basic, and um, had no secondary market. And that, that is changing. You know, you go into these outdoor supply stores and the design is good. Yes, definitely. Everyone now wants something that's good, that's effective and not too complicated, actually. And when we were talking about 3D printing, it struck me that uh, we do say 3D printing. But if this is targeted to Parkinson's, it's uh, it's sort of an elderly generation, right? And it's really difficult for them to understand this um, future technology almost. So they'll immediately, if you say, oh, yeah, I can send you the CAD model and you can 3D print it, it's not going to be the best solution for them. But the requests I get are mostly from their kids or from their loved ones. So if you look at it from that aspect, they can help these people if it's a a 3D printed thing. But again, that's again a challenge. (laughs) Well, it's like an orthotic insert for a shoe, right? When yeah. when those are made, uh, you the 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 mold is sent to the client. The client imprints his or her foot in that mold, and then the mold is sent off, and the orthotic is fabricated and sent back yes. to the to the consumer. I would imagine with the three D printing that you're you're having some way to take a measurement of the user's hand, and then that is trans translated into the the CAD system, which is then making the mold from which to manufacture. Yes, definitely. That's that's the way I was thinking exactly. So are they sent a kit? Is your idea they'd be sent some sort of foam foam Uh, grasp that they would? Yes, it could be clay as well. Uh, But that's, so this is just a thought and I, I haven't really developed it. But there are as well um, these uh, products. I know there is a startup that has this product that you can hold. So you can almost shake hands here. And I feel the handshake on the other side. And maybe something like that as well, that if they press it here, the impressions are there for me. I, I really don't know. But there's so much happening. I still need to research this. But I was looking at it as clay that's sent to them and then it comes back to me. Yeah. I, well, it, it's no different than taking an impression for a retainer, you know, for for yes. orthodonture or exactly. the orthotic, you know, model. Yes, yes. that's, Which that's I, how I was thinking. Yeah. I think that's clay too. The, yeah, the, that is. Yeah, and it hardens after a bit. So, yeah, that's the clay I was thinking. You yeah. put it in good words. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting. So the, the the technology is available. That there are customized um, medical products that are already using. The premise to to glean the the mold or the impression for the product itself. The product is sent off, fashioned, and then shipped back. Yes, that's right. And cost wise, what does something like this run? Uh, yeah. So without yeah, it's it's that's the thing. It's really difficult to say, and I still need to define it according to the three D printing thing. But the normal, if if I just uh, manufacture the normal cup. I was thinking of it to come about 150 euros, about approximately. I still need to do the details, but the 3D printing one is another ball game, <laughs> so that yeah. still needs to be checked. Yeah, yeah. 
and that does make sense that it's a premium product for use exactly. in a, in a, for a specific need, n- not so much for, um, off label usage, right? Like that to, to spend that money for a camping cup is, is, seems a little high, but for somebody who is using it for personal use, who has Parkinson's or another, um, uh, challenge that needs to feel like they can be part of as opposed to isolated from. It's well worth it. To learn more about the work of Mileha Soneji, please visit her website, and that is nospill.weebly.com. On Twitter, the handle is at Mileha underscore S, and on Facebook, her page is just simply Mileha, M-I-L-E-H-A. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation about necessity as the mother of inventions, solutions for living with ourselves, as well as our challenges. You're listening to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. And once again, thanks to my guest, Mileha Soneji, who is the creator of the No Spill Cup. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. And here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Michael Oaken and Maleha Soneji, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.